This is Brain Diet, episode number 71. I'm Taylor Ann Macy, and you are listening to Brain Diet, where we feed your brain good information. Hi, people. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you? Today, we're talking about copycat problems. When's the last time you heard the word copycat? I feel like it's such an elementary word, but it really just is suited to what I wanted to talk to you about today. And I'll tell you why. So I am a life coach. This is a podcast where I teach life coaching principles. I love to just dive deep into the brain. And coaching is something that has really helped me achieve a lot of change in my life. And it has helped a lot of people that I have coached achieve change in their life as well. So I mean, I could say I am in the business of change. I coach people to change their lives in whatever capacity they want to change their lives, whether it's with weight or relationships or money. All of that can be accomplished if you have a good coach. Now on the surface, when you talk about changing lives, I think it sounds a little bit cliche. But that's why I think this episode is going to be so important because of the depth of what change really is. So that's what I wanted to get into today. When others want to change, and they look at the actions another person takes, and they try to emulate them, they try to copy another person, and their actions, they run into copycat problems. People that just try to copy other people's behavior sometimes can't keep up. If it's related to food, they run out of willpower. Whatever change they do achieve is usually temporary. They'll sometimes just go all the way back to where they started. And then they just use all of that to create evidence to prove that they can't change. So the next time they try to change, they reference this past evidence of when they tried and it failed. And so then they have less momentum and then changing is even more difficult. So let's talk about change and the brain. The brain is designed to stay the same. It is a survival mechanism. It is designed to create a safe and reliable and predictable environment in order to avoid threats. So in the most primal terms, when the brain encounters a threat, any type of change or difference to the stable environment that it has created, it's threatened and thinks that survival is on the line. So to the brain, change equals threat. But if you think about evolution in humanity, it has essentially come from change that has been enough to move us forward without being too much to kill us off. I kind of think of it like the whole analogy of boiling a frog. Like if you put it into boiling water, it's going to jump out. But if you put the frog into warm water and then slowly turn up the heat and boil the water, then that's how you kill the frog. I feel like change is kind of the opposite to that analogy, <laughs> where we do have to just get into the waters and slowly turn up the heat. But instead of dying, we actually survive, right? But if we try to change too quickly, it's like throwing ourselves into a boiling pot of water or maybe even a hot tub. Let's just go with a hot tub analogy. If you jump into a too hot hot tub, then you're just going to jump out. It's going to be too hot. But if you sit in when it's kind of warm and then it starts to warm up slowly and you can adapt to it, that's when you're able to sustain the heat of the hot tub. 
kind of a dumb example, but you kind of get my point, right? And I also think about the Wright brothers. My husband, Ben, is reading a book all about them and how for them to develop the airplane and to for them to develop flying through the air to get from location to location, it took society a long time to adapt to that idea. We were just recently watching Downton Abbey and someone mentioned airplanes or something in the episode and one of the characters was like oh that's not gonna last that'll burn out quick (laughs) change has to happen very slowly in order to create the proper adaptation for it to be sustainable so for ourselves if we want change we have to find that balance can we find that individual sweet spot where we push ourselves out of our comfort zone where we try and fail where we feel uncomfortable yet it's not too much to kill us. That we can just adapt to the waters as we slowly push ourselves into discomfort. This is the balance of change. So for any type of change, this requires a willingness to be a little bit uncomfortable, but not too uncomfortable, right? This is the balance. There is this sweet spot. So this is where coaching comes in. Adapting to change is not simply copying someone else's behavior. It is becoming a new version of you in the process. It's not just trying to be like someone else. It's changing your brain to be different. So you think and operate internally like the person you want to be and you don't just simply act like them on the surface. Coaching is essentially a tool to add in the adaptation to change. It's kind of like when you have babies, how we have created epidurals, one of the greatest gifts of modern medicine, in my opinion. Epidurals makes having babies a lot easier. It makes it a lot less painful. That's kind of what I believe coaching to be to any type of change that we want to create in our life. So let's say that you want to create a change. Let's say there's something that you want to create more of or or less of or any type of change. If you want to make more money or lose weight or develop new habits, usually what we start to do first is take action. Again, we start to emulate those who have what we want merely through action. This is working against our brain's natural desire to not change. If we have a natural innate desire for things to stay the same, if we just try to work against it and fight against that desire to not change by just taking action to try and be like someone else, we end up fighting with all the energy we have to work against our brain in order to change, and it's not sustainable. Like I said, we end up working against ourselves. So maybe we're able to make temporary change for a temporary time, but we're not able to make long-term change that is effortless and sustainable because we only have a limited capacity of energy to work against ourselves. Think about people that make New Year's resolutions. This is what people are doing. They are simply emulating the actions of the people they admire or of the people that have the habits that they want. And because they're working against their natural desire to not change, they end up giving up after a few weeks. And this is what is wrong with willpower. Willpower is the same thing. It is working against ourselves. It is working against our true desires. So say you have a desire for ice cream. If you are using willpower to resist that desire, you will run out of willpower eventually. It's kind of like trying to push a beach ball underwater. It takes a lot of energy and it's not something that you can sustain and do forever. So then you run out and then you eat the ice cream and then you create more evidence that you can't change. In my coaching practice, I use the self-coaching model. 
And the self-coaching model is made up of five parts. It's made up of circumstances, thoughts, feelings, actions, and results. Anything in your life you can categorize into those five categories. So when you can start to pay attention to your thoughts and pay attention to your feelings using this model and having the help of a coach, it allows you to notice your desire. It allows you to notice your desire to change as well as your desire to stay the same. And it equips you to anticipate and welcome the resistance that will inevitably come up when you decide to change. So when you become more aware of your thinking, it allows you to examine those thoughts that make you not want to do the things you want to do. Like what thoughts are you thinking that are creating resistance to the action you are trying to take? So what happens is when we become more aware of the thoughts we're thinking, we allow ourselves to encourage the resistance to come up. We open up to the resistance. We are curious about the resistance. We hold space for it. And then we identify more of our thoughts and then we work from there. When I was in high school, I had a neighbor who was so awesome and she was a runner. And during the summer, she wanted to run every day with me. And she wanted to go at like 7 a.m. so that it wasn't too hot. And I just remember being a high school student and thinking the last thing I want to do right now is get up at 7 a.m. in the middle of my summer and go running. (laughs) My thoughts around going running were, I'm too tired. I don't want to. I want to sleep in. So if I simply tried to just emulate her actions and I tried to just get up in the morning and I tried to just run every day, I would burn myself out. And if she ever canceled, I was like, hallelujah. I'm not going running tomorrow. (laughs) And the reason is, I didn't think like her. She had thoughts like, I love running. I'm into this. I want to do this. This is fun. This is really good for me. I wasn't having those thoughts. My thoughts were quite the opposite. I didn't care about running. I didn't want to. I'd rather do other things. So no matter how much I tried to just emulate her action and be a runner, it never lasted because I didn't have the thoughts that she was thinking. I was thinking thoughts that were simply resisting the action. So after years of taking those thoughts around running, noticing those thoughts around running, and deciding to just allow those thoughts to be there, deciding to just carry those thoughts with me while I go running or while I exercise, really allowed me to shift my relationship to the resistance to running. Now, I hardly ever have those same thoughts about running. And the reason isn't because I just ran a lot and tried to willpower my way through to becoming a runner. It was because I really changed how I thought about exercise. By the time I got to college, I was getting up at, you know, 5.30 and 6 a.m. to get in a run and to be able to shower before my 8 a.m. class. But this wasn't because I was just trying to fight my way to be a runner. It really was because I started to think differently about myself and to think differently about running. I was able to change my brain. And then the action change that followed was easy because I wasn't working against myself anymore. I noticed the resistance and I allowed it to be there. Change is a meta skill. And what I mean by that is if you learn to change your brain in one area, if you learn the skills required to change your brain in a single area, it makes change in other areas so much easier. Like if you can learn how to become a person who exercises regularly, you can learn to become a person that eats healthy all the time. Learning to change is a meta skill by learning how to manage your mind regardless of the topic. Now, this is why I love weight loss. 
I love coaching people on weight and their bodies because it facilitates all of the other problems in our lives to bubble up to the surface for us to work through so that by the time my clients go to work on the next issue in their life, it becomes so much easier because they've already cleaned up their brain in one area and they've learned the skills of how to clean up their brain. The first change is always the hardest because it's the first time you're learning how to manage your mind. It's just like the first mile on any run. That first mile is always the hardest. But as soon as you get over that, you start to get into a groove and it becomes so much easier. So copycat problems come from when we simply look at people's actions. We never consider what feelings are driving those actions. How are they thinking when they behave that way? People that exercise every day, people that eat a certain way, or people that parent a certain way, or people that make a lot of money, they have a very specific mindset. If someone behaves differently than you do and you desire to be like them, the difference isn't in your actions. It's in the way your brain looks compared to theirs. The most important thing when it comes to change is your mind. You're not just changing what you're doing. You are changing who you are being. You are changing your mindset, your perspective, the way you see the world, the way you see yourself. When we stop fighting against the resistance and we simply allow it, that's when sustainable change occurs. It's kind of like whenever I get a shot or if I have to get an IV for something, every time I'm gearing up for the needle in my arm, I anticipate the pain. I know there's going to be pain and I open up to it. I'm like, bring it on. I'm great at feeling pain. Whereas my kids, whenever there are needles involved, they panic and run away and they freak out. That is resistance to the pain, as opposed to opening up to the pain, opening up to your brain's desire to not change and just allowing it to be there. You make room for resistance and discomfort and you allow for it. And instead of resisting it and fighting it and running away from it, you just become the watcher of your mind. Like, oh, isn't it interesting? My brain really wants to resist this change. My brain really doesn't want to do this. And that's okay. Change isn't meant to be made easier or less uncomfortable. You change more, the more discomfort you have. So if change is exhausting, you are resisting the resistance. So we have to ask ourselves, what do I need to change about me? What do I need to change about my brain? What do I need to change about my mindset? Not what do I need to change that I'm doing? Another dumb example that I thought of, because we've been swimming a lot. I guess I have a lot of water examples this episode. But you know how when a pool or a lake or some type of body of water is really cold and you dip your feet in and it's cold and then they get used to it. And then you dip your shins in and then it's cold and then you get used to it. And then you dip your thighs in and then it's cold and then you get used to it. And then you dip your hips and it just keeps going up the body. And every time it's cold and it kind of shocks you, but you just kind of wait it out and then you get used to it. This is the same thing for change. We have to allow ourselves to wade into the water, wade into the change, and we have to understand that, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of like a take away your breath moment when you dip in a little bit further. But that's okay, because once you stay with it for long enough, then you adapt, and then the water becomes not so cold. So if you're trying to change and it's exhausting, it's like if you're getting in the water and you're freaking out every time it gets cold and you have to dip in a little bit more and then you freak out a little bit more, it's really exhausting. <laughs> that right there is resisting the resistance. So if you think about a person that maintains their weight easily, who are they being in the world? What are they thinking and feeling all the time? Someone that maintains their weight easily probably doesn't think constantly about food. Someone who maintains their weight easily isn't wanting food so badly but abstaining. Someone that does it easily just doesn't really think about it. 
it's no big deal. But when you are simply a copycat, you exhaust yourself and you can't maintain the change. So like I said, then you create evidence against yourself because you fail. And then the next time you try to change, you bring up this whole bag of evidence as to why it's not going to be possible, which just obviously is not very useful if you want to actually make change. Being a copycat is lame, my friends. You are meant to be you. And if there are habits or behaviors that you want to emulate, that you admire in other people, don't just try to copycat them. You have to examine what you're thinking that's getting in the way of you being that person that does all the things you want to do. When you change who you are by the way you are thinking and viewing the world, you change everything you're creating in the world. Change does not start with actions. Change starts with how you are thinking that then creates actions easily. So like I said, this has to be accomplished by examining what it is that you think and leveraging the authority over learning to think something different. And this is something that's really well accomplished when you have a coach. I've got a link to the application to work with me if you are interested in working with a coach. I offer free consultations and we're able to talk through and decide, is coaching something that works for you and are we a good fit? So if you're interested in working with me, fill out that application. That is all I have for you folks. Change is in the brain. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you.